You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to Ooh, Two, Three, ah. And uh, I'm here joined by David Halchick and Stephen Chicken. Obviously, if you don't know about that by now, then you probably either don't care or aren't paying attention. Um, yeah, Dave, uh, Huddersfield played West Brom on Sunday, mm-hmm. the second game of the Cowley Reign, and the first time that they'd had a week training with the squad, uh, the, the whole squad. What did you make of the performance? Excellent for 50, 55 minutes. Um, and then uh, the, some old familiar problems came back. The thing was, the the way they played that game, I thought, was interesting because they got it very right first half. In the, yeah. They played on the break, and on the break is very different to what Town have been doing, which is just sitting deep mm. uh, in away games. So they were looking, there were a lot more forward passes, there, it, it was narrower. Yeah, um, much narrower. In, instantly you could yeah. see the back four was so And that worked, yeah. and that worked. And it was interesting to see the midfield, I'm not even going to say the midfield were kept higher, the midfield just played in midfield instead of dropping deep. Yeah. And it, it, it really worked, you know, it was, it was a fairly even game that first half, but Town were, were worth their lead at half-time. And then... Interestingly, after half time, first five or ten minutes, uh, you had um, Chalabar and there was someone else chasing the ball down when it went to the West Crom keeper, getting way beyond the front three. Because I think Cowley had obviously given them the message the way to defend this lead is to get another goal, which is perhaps a reflection of their defensive options, if we're being brutally honest. But it's risky, <laughs> you know. There is there is a huge risk with that, and unfortunately, when West Brom up the pressure, some of the old problems came back. Mm. Um, you know that 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 town's right hand side was an issue as it has been before, mm. and yeah, as soon as unfortunately, it was one of those games where as soon as the equaliser went in, you knew they were likely going to get a winner. Yeah. What was your take? Yeah, pretty much the same. I mean. Yeah, the first, as you say, 50, 55 minutes, they held the shape really well. You could see that they had a plan. It generally worked. So you had the narrower front four, uh, back four, and then you had Grant and Kachunga were coming back as like yeah. supplementary fullbacks, which a lot of people said, well, Grant's not a winger or Grant can't do the defensive work. But he was playing on right in front of me because mm. where you are at West Brom in the press box, we were sort of on the edge of the, the penalty box. Yeah. And so he was right on our side. And... Uh, he did all right, actually. Yeah, it didn't look uncomfortable. No, he didn't. And no. as as Cowley said, um, he did a lot of work for the good of the team that was quite unselfish and still managed to get a goal. He's the top yeah. score, joint top scorer in the championship now, which is for a team that are bottom of the table is is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, much much better. That there were little moments that that maybe didn't come through in the goal. Although the Lewis O'Brien goal was a good good yeah. example where things like the ball was coming over the top and Schindler, instead of sort of trying to take the pace off it mm. and pass it sideways to Elphick or whatever, he he was he played a first-time pass straight into Campbell, yeah. who was standing in the centre circle, and it, it didn't come to anything, but it turned into a nice yeah. forward move. Campbell did really well with his playing with his back to goal, which I think... Yeah, was, I thought he was... I, I genuinely, and, um, you know, among my f- friends and various WhatsApp groups, there was a lot of love for Campbell's performance mm. and we were we were at the press conference where Danny Cowley talked about wanting the Liverpool style front three which is where mm. you almost play with a silent striker in the middle mm. whose job it is to bring the, the man either side into play and into space and if Campbell keeps up that sort of work rate you can see that yeah he could actually play that role quite effectively and also chip in himself yeah the, the strange thing it's uh, Strange thing is that Cowley's have said they would prefer to play four two three one to four three three. 
Um, and I always think, well, if Campbell's going to keep playing like that, yeah. do, do you worry about getting Alex Pritchard into the team straight away? Because Campbell was actually quite a, a good, effective link, and that front three actually looked, for the first time this season, looked decent, looked like a proper yeah. unit, had a, had a link with the midfield. And part of that, I think, as well, is Kachunga, who I was quite pleased I picked him out in the article I did for the examiner last week as a player who could make a difference uh, under the Cowlitz because he's responded to man management before, you see, with mm. with Wagner, um, who who sort of nurtured him very closely through a championship season in which he was excellent when they got promoted. And the thing about Kajunga is he's versatile. He, he can actually play anywhere across the front four, really. So they really could do with a player like that because at the moment Town have have too many players who fit too neatly into too many boxes mm. so to have a player who gives you a bit of versatility and who is a bit more forward thinking and who when they cuts inside is a bit more dangerous as well if we're brutally yeah. honest then Mbenza and Diakabi are is, is a key factor when you want to play a lot narrower yeah. um, so I, I just felt that it, I mean, I don't, I don't want to come back to the same things, but that back four is the big problem. Yeah. And I know people talked about fitness. Carol has mentioned fitness after themselves and all that sort of thing. But we analysed the game and went through some of the goals on Monday a little bit via WhatsApp. Mm. <laughs> and the errors are really basic, aren't they? It's, it's not. It's not picking men up, which yeah. is the like set really simple. The two set piece goals definitely was a defensive organisation, yeah. and it's difficult for us to analyse it without knowing what the marking routine was mm. supposed to be. But there were basically just well, two men, mix, men three was, in the box. Yeah, it was a mix of zonal and man marking, and I, I, you know, without sounding like a proper football man, I think you have to come down on one side or the other. Yeah, because I think you're just creating confusion that doesn't need to exist effectively. Yeah. But I, Curley kind of acknowledged that uh, in the press conference on Thursday as well. Mm. Um, I, th- I think that's one thing that he would kind of hold his hands up that he might have overladen them with the set piece yeah. instructions. And then, you know, like the goal from the cutback where you've got five town players around a winger, mm. nobody's actually, everybody's given a very good impression of trying to make a challenge, but nobody's actually going anywhere near him. Yeah. And then nobody's picking up the runner into the box who's on the edge of the area with all the space in the world. These are, you know, it doesn't matter how fit your team is and all that sort of thing, if you're still making those basic errors at the back. And the thing is, that's not one defender. That's no. all four. And and the couple of midfielders as well, yeah. to be honest. Um, because you would think that the, the, the player going to the edge of the box, Matty Phillips, has scored the cutback for scored from a cutback twice so it's not like they didn't have no. a warning um, just wasn't picked up but you would think that that should have been Hogg or Chalabar yeah. or O'Brien picking him up probably well you would have Hogg. thought Hogg yeah yeah, playing as the six yeah I mean one of the reasons that he's he's playing there is he's supposed to pick up on those late yeah. runs and both times he got drawn out to the ball yeah and that that is that is a mindset of desperation. Yeah. That is, oh God. <laughs> it is. It, it was, Panic button. It was notable because they, they kept the shape, generally speaking, throughout the first half. But the, the times they got done were the, the first goal and the third goal. It was Town had just made an error. Yeah. So it was Congolo had been nutmeg for the first one. And the third one, it was... Uh, it was Flo giving it away yeah. on the right wing, which I, I don't think was was actually a massive. Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> oh, I know. I don't think it was. I say it right wing. It was on the, at right back. I don't think it was a, a, a terribly egregious error. No. To be fair, it was just a a pass that that just it, went slightly right. Yeah. It, it and it's like you could see why he was making a pass. It's more the area of the pitch you're ceding control of the ball in. That's yeah, the that's what Cowley said. That's he said the first third is meant to be their their safety zone. Yeah. And, yeah. and he should have played it safe, which is true. But that was exacerbated by the way that Tam then responded to it, which, as you say, it was just complete panic. It was four, four or five players went straight to Dean Garner to try and mm. win the ball off him. And credit to Dean Garner, he came on at half time and absolutely changed the game. Yeah. He was brilliant. But they shouldn't have five people going to do the job of one or maybe two if you want yeah. to double up on him. But and you, it ended up with Phillips on the edge of the box completely free. 
But the thing is, you look at that and you think, well, the reason they brought him on is because they know Town's right side is weak. Yeah. And they thought, we've not tested it or pushed it mm. enough. So we're going to bring on somebody who can, and immediately it became a problem. And this, this is, it goes back to something I've said on this podcast before, that I, I would love to do a piece for uh, the examiner picking out some interesting and unusual things with town, mm. you know, stats-wise and playing patterns-wise, but the problem is all the, everything is still obvious at the moment. Yeah, Nobody out there listening to this podcast is thinking, well, actually, right side of our team's fine, mm. no problem. So it's, it's, there's still the same problems to fix, and there will be for a while, but there were... I, the, the thing about that back four is that Congolo had... I would argue one of his poorest games in a town shirt mm. for whatever reason. Elphick and Schindler just don't work as a pair. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's fixable or not, but I, I don't even think it's be- I don't even think it's because they're very similar. I think, you know, two similar defenders can work, but at the moment for whatever reason Schindler's form is through the floor. Elphick can't win the fans over, so there's no point in even trying to defend him. And Flo had a Janai is Flo had a Janai. So you can't, uh, however the Cowleys do it, they're still dealing with sort of several, I would argue, quite limited options at the moment at the back. When you, when you have a problem with your defence and it's every single one of them, mm. it's not easy. And that's why, again, going back to that examiner piece, I, I think it might be time to maybe look at Romani Ed, Edmonds-Green, mm. um, getting Jaden Brown in there longer term. Um, Which making, might do if Congolo isn't fit now. Yeah. Because he went off injured. Depending, I mean, he said it was a soft tissue injury, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, they hopefully will be able to play. But I think, but, I, I think the time has come to make a decision on Congolo. Yeah. Is he a left back or is he a centre back? Yeah. For me, he's a centre back. I, I would agree. Um, yeah. And I think I know Town's options are limited. We'll get on to a, potentially someone joining later. But, you know, Flo has played at left back for Kosovo. That's where he plays for them. Maybe worth a look. There, there are a couple of options, and it really is at the point where. Town may as well roll the dice because that defence, as yeah. it stands, is not working. And Jaden Brown's been no worse than any of the others. No, and the the thing about Jaden Brown is that he he holds his position. Yeah. So because he's got decent recovery pace, he never has to be absolute at full pelt desperation stations to try and win it back, which often Hadajanai and Congolo are. I mean, mm. everybody loves a tackle. The town crowd loves a tackle. But those tackles are often coming because those two fullbacks are wildly out of position mm. and it, they're, they're recovering for their own errors. Whereas with Brown, he's got the pace to do that, but he's also, just because he's a younger player and he takes instruction better, mm. he's just more capable of holding his position, you know. Yeah, and Hadrich and I did hold his position better for the first half, notably better, but uh, he could be on his way out at right back because yeah. Danny Simpson has been well, has been training with the club and Danny Callier said that they are working on a deal to get him in. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's basically down to whether uh, the player wants to accept the deal is, is yeah. my understanding of it at the moment. Possibly by the time this podcast goes out, even he might even have signed. What, what are your thoughts on, on Danny Simpson? Do you think he's, he's going to help those defensive problems? I think he is, but... You know, Danny Simpson at right back doesn't suddenly make Christopher Schindler's form go through the roof mm. and doesn't create a partnership between him and Elphick um, and doesn't give you two decent options at left back. So it's not, it, it's a very important sticking plaster mm. because it's a position that town need to upgrade on. And Danny Simpson, good crosser of the ball, uh, you know, solid six, seven out of ten player week in week out and the championship should be popping crisps for him to be perfectly honest with you mm. so it's a bit of a no-brainer but you know there are there are other considerations with Danny Simpson he has had incidents in his past which are particularly unsavoury um, yeah and, he, he was convicted of uh, assaulting his yeah, girlfriend you know and he was convicted it it's not an allegation or a newspaper story he was convicted and he did do an awful lot of hours of community service, I believe. Yeah, and then that turned into a curfew because he, he couldn't do the community service because he was getting hassled by 
yeah. tabloids. So you've got to think about the group dynamic as well. Um, yeah. And how he comes in, how he affects that group. Does he improve in playing wise immediately? Yeah. But you just hope that he's also giving them something. He's a net gain squad wise as well because, you know, the the last thing that squad needs is a bad influence. And mm. I would hope he. I would hope he isn't. I have no inside info whatsoever as to whether he is or he isn't. But you can't just write off. <laughs> His convictions in the past as as just you know simple mistake. When somebody's convicted, it's a serious business. Yeah, and I, I, it is surprising to me slightly how little play that has received. Um, but I suppose Town fans are just desperate to get a right back in, and which is understandable. Yeah, really understandable. And at, at this stage, probably a lot of them either are unaware or feel he's served his time or just plain don't care yeah um as a player he is 32 i think he would be the only member of the town squad who's older than me mm-hmm. um <laughs> tommy alfix four days younger which is irritating um he only played nine senior games last year and he had one in the checker trade trophy which for leicester is an under 23 competition. yeah yep um so he's not played a huge deal he has been training with he was training with West Brom before he yeah. came to town so they reckon that he's had something close to the equivalent of a pre-season under his belt now that he's had four weeks or so yeah. of training with a championship club um, there's nothing nothing replicates match fitness yeah because match fitness isn't just about how far you run match fitness is about where you are mentally and the judgments you're making mm. in front of a crowd and with you know a winger bearing down on you and my slight concern is that a lot of fans think that Danny Simpson's going to come in and be some sort of panacea for various problems. And it's it's like, well, no, he's going to take himself probably four or five games to get up to speed. Mm. And Town still have players who've had a full pre-season and played most games this season who I would argue are still mm. not quite up to speed. Um, so I think you've got to look at it as, as is it a good signing... Yeah, because yeah. It, it it you know it definitely fills a fills a void in the first team, and it is a first team signing as well. It's not a squad signing; yeah, it's I, a first team signing, and that's what Town need. I'm sort of pointing out the negatives just because there has been this relentless tide of sort of positivity, and as you say, that sort of treating him as though he's going to come in and, and solve all the all the club yeah, issues, well, which he won't. But he's he's a very capable. He's a Premier League winning. Right oh, back. absolutely. He's, but he's won promotion from this league three times with three different clubs. So he's been there and done it all. He's yeah. very experienced, and he'll at least bring a sort of a mature head on the pitch, and mm. and should be able to slot in and get up to speed fairly well. Uh, and I think he is almost certainly an up- upgrade on Hadj and I, which they need. <laughs> you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. We're not cheerleaders. Yeah, that's we're not on this podcast to be cheerleaders. So mm. I think we're well. I think it's important to point out that there have been issues in the past and that those have to be factored into Town's decision as well, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but I think the team selection tomorrow against Millwall, recording this on the Friday, mm. we don't know if Simpson's going to be, it, like you say... I think even signed. if he signs today, I, I don't think he'll be registered in time. It would be pretty bold. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure you could register in time if you really, really wanted, but it would be, yeah, it, it, it's no time at all, is it, really? Mm. Um, but the team selection tomorrow is going to be very interesting because it's a home game. Mm. We know they favour four-two-three-one, but they will have looked at that first 50-55 minutes as mm. a four-three-three with those changes, with it a bit narrower, with that front three, and thought, well, this is working. And I think the thing that gets forgotten a little bit with town is that, you know, like West Brom away, that's a serious club. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> West Brom were brilliant in the second half, you have to say. For all town, yeah. fell apart and went back to old habits. West Brom were really good. In and the they are, they'll be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. I think they're one point off the top at the moment. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I, I've watched a couple of, of, that lot up the roads games this season and West Brom are by far the better side mm. because they're just more of a they're just more of a unit mm. rather than 
you know, with Leeds, you've got them sort of relying on a couple of individuals to make them work. Whereas with West Brom, you just feel like it's almost like the relentless yeah. nature of their play just grinds you down. Yeah. Like, so it, that's a proper side, and I, they're coming up against Millwall, and I would quite confidently argue they're not going to. It, it's not that Millwall aren't a proper side, but they're not the same level of opposition. They're not going right. to give them the same things to think about. Mill will usually set up as a 4-4-2 or a 4-4-1-1. So, you know, Danny Cowley will be well-versed in playing against that system, having come from League Two. He knows Neil Harris really well as well. Did you see that yeah. story? Yeah. yeah. Um, taught, his, taught his kid at school and yeah, yeah they, they've been friends since since he was a teacher basically and he's always gone to Harris for advice and so you look at you look at the game and you think it's quite interesting actually because does he does he as it's a home game against lesser opposition does he go for his favored formation the 4231 mm-hmm. or does he go look you know this worked to a point if we could just extend that over 90 minutes against the side i would consider to be slightly weaker opposition you know, if Town played like they did in the first 50-55 minutes against West Brom, I know it was an away game and I know it's a different pattern of play and all that, but if they can reach that same level, they should win that game if yeah. they can do that over 90 minutes. But I think that's the first time we've come into the podcast and said yeah, Town should win But the this problem game. is, it's ifs, buts and maybes again, isn't it? Yeah. Here's a, an if, but, or maybe for you that I'm dropping on you now. If they do go 4-2-3-1, that means they're dropping, to get Pritchard in, they're dropping one of the three central midfielders. Which one would you take out? Well, you see, the thing is, the way O'Brien's played, and he played as a number 10 in the mm. youth system, do you, rather than trying to crowbar Pritchard in there, do you give O'Brien, even if you give him an hour, and say, yeah. look, you've got an hour, this is an audition... Go and show us what you can do as a number ten, but good cop out. Well, no, but but particularly no, I agree with that. Actually, no, you said it. Particularly if Pritchard is still working his way back to fitness, yeah, and you put him on for the last half an hour. Yeah, I, I I don't think Chalabar can do that job. No, he's a different player. Yeah, he's a good player, but he's different. Yeah, and your the problem is with Chalabar as a number ten is you'd be losing that. Uh, ability to get on the front foot from him that he gives you because he can carry the ball over 30 yards and nobody else can do that job so if you stick him high you lose that immediately Hogg has to play you know I've I've spoke about Hogg before and I think his 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 form needs to improve I actually thought he was marginally better against West Brom Mm. Um, still a couple of the things that drive me mad but I thought there were signs that someone's put their arm around him and you know, because if they can get Hogg back to fitness, that will be a huge part of town going forward. But yeah, it, it's it's difficult. I I would I know you said it was a cop out, but I think that's probably <laughs> no, I think what I right. do. Yeah. I, um, and the thing is that anybody who's watched town or analysed town or knows anything about town knows pretty much everything they need to know about Alex Pritchard. Yeah. So why don't we find out about O'Brien and then if O'Brien doesn't work, if we discover that's not something he can do, mm. we know we've got Pritchard. And the other the other player I pointed to in the article I did last week was was Reese Brown, who has had another very good game this mm. week for the development squad. Has played as a number ten very successfully. Um, you know, his his old manager said he could be a Premier League player if he wants to be. At some point, we've got to see him audition for that role. Yeah, and he it, there's he played against Lincoln in that game, Steve, that we were there for, and he he was awful because he couldn't get on the ball. Mm. You know, he was playing. I think it was left of a midfield three, and you could tell it was a position he never played before in his mm. life. He couldn't get into the game, couldn't get on the ball, couldn't affect the game in any meaningful way. You've got to play a number 10 as a number 10. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I hate Pritchard as a winger <laughs> in a 4-3-3, because he's not, he's a number 10. Yeah. So I think Reese Brown will be the other player they'll be, they'll be thinking about, and then it becomes even more of a selection headache. But, I mean, ultimately, right, let's have this right. Town are bottom of the table. They've not won a game this season. Ultimately, anyone's droppable. Because yeah. and it, you can make a case for that simply by showing them the league table. So let's be realistic about it. Yeah, no, quite right. I'll drop in the audio from uh, Cowley talking about Reese Brown. Well, Reese is a boy that we know very well. He um, obviously had a 
had a very good time at Forest Green. Um, we played against him over the last two years, particularly last year. We had a really good season, playing as an eight or a ten um, in a in a good Forest Forest Green Rovers team. Um, he certainly has some creativity and some guile. Um, he's got good quality, particularly in the final third, in terms of assisting and, and also scoring goals, as we saw against Morecambe on on Tuesday earlier in the week. Um, I think. For, for Reese, it's trying to get him to a place where he can cope with the athleticism and the physicality of the championship, and that's and that's something that we're working hard with him. But certainly, in terms of um, the, his, his technical qualities, he, he, he has a lot to offer, and we will work hard with him to try to add those other aspects to his game. I think they basically want him to bulk up a bit, reading between the lines, because they're talking about he needs to get to grips with the athleticism of the championship. So whether that's a fitness thing or a, or a physique thing, I suspect it might be that they want they want to see him get a bit bit more muscle on him. Yeah, because I mean, you look at Pritchard and he looks like Thor, doesn't he? <laughs> so I I never I always think stuff like that is a bit of a cop out. I think what they're ultimately saying is this is a really tough position at the moment to go and throw Reese Brown into it would mm. be difficult because if he comes in and he plays badly for an hour and the crowd are mumbling and grumbling and they go a goal behind it's the Millwall, thing again it's like well he's yeah, useless it's the crowd are going to make their mind up on so I understand that but I think when Town have probably got four to seven points on mm. the board uh, extra than they have now I think they ha- at some point they have to have a look at him yeah because um, he's only been on the bench once other than yeah. that Lincoln game he's been on the bench once and, and he's I, not been in the 18 otherwise Last season, he was brilliant. Yeah, he was utterly brilliant. So that that shouldn't be. It was quite a coup. At Huddersfield Town getting him. You mm. know, Leeds were were very close to signing him. Sunderland were desperately trying to sign him. Proper football clubs after him. So if you get a player like that and you just leave him in the development squad, that's that's crazy. And as I said, I don't really believe all that athleticism stuff it's just I can understand them withholding him from yeah. it now completely because you know to just toss a young player into this situation is is difficult as we know but yeah as soon as town start to put any sort of run together he needs to feature yeah and as a number 10 yeah not as a you know auxiliary midfielder somewhere else yeah what what you thought of uh, Colin Grant out on the left as well uh I I think the Cowleys are obviously quite convinced from his time pre-Huddersfield Town, aren't they? Mm-hmm. That's certainly the impression I get. And I was trying to look in history to see, at some point they've played against him and he's he's ripped them one, hasn't he? Yeah, I think so. From, the, from that position. And yeah. that's why they're in their mind they're quite fixed. I think when you've got a player like that who can score a goal like that, um, and it was, you know, it's terrific touch and finish that great ball from Kachunga as well if he's happy playing on the left and you can play that Liverpool style front three where you Mm. do keep them fairly narrow and crossing is about 20% of his job if that because really what you're looking for is to try and get three men into the box isn't it I, I think it can work but if you get to the point where he's becoming isolated out on the left and he's not getting chances, you've got to do something about it. You've got yeah. to change it because there's a man you want in front of goal. Mm. But we've spoke before about his work outside of the box. Actually, I think his defensive shift against West Brom, although far from perfect, I thought he did okay. Yeah. I thought he did pretty well. I think it's it's more his hold-up play. It's more his yeah. work on the ball outside the box. That, that He can't... He couldn't be that unselfish striker in the middle, no. just bringing the two either side because it's just yeah. yeah, it's just not his game. And I think, I mean, ultimately, you've just got to. It works for as long as he gets chances, mm. and the minute he's not getting chances because he's pulled too wide, then you then you have to change it. But I think you've got to keep Fraser Campbell in, yeah, because he, he he's doing something that Mounier couldn't do that job. Particularly at home, I think they've, they've talked about. We've talked about, and they've, the Cowleys have talked about. I say the Cowleys. Danny Cowleys talked about. They they feel like they've got their away style down, kind of sort of to an extent. 
with what they did against West Brom and now he wants to see if they can develop that home style mm. and I think having players like Lewis O'Brien who I know is not from Huddersfield but is yeah. someone that the fans now love after his brilliant churn against West Brom uh, and who as, as I've written before kind of encapsulates everything the Cowleys are about he's really important and I think Fraser Campbell the fact he works really hard and he's from from the town yeah, it, it's hugely important because the Cowleys have talked about they want to get they feel like it's not an 11-man job. They need the crowd to yeah. be part of it and drive them on. And Fraser Campbell, I think, is absolutely key in that. Because let's be honest, they're going to give him, even if he's having a bad game, they're going to get behind him a hell of a lot more than they will Steve Mounier, for instance. Or Tommy Elphick. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to play Tommy Elphick up front, though, is the thing. But, yeah, so I, I think to, to go back to Grant himself, I think the other thing is... Like you've just said, he's top scorer in their division, which is phenomenal. And I know there's a couple of penalties in there, but I think the way you've got to look at it is you've also got to keep him happy. If he's happy out on the left and he's getting chances, you know, absolutely fine. Then leave it while it's working. But the minute he does start to get a bit hacked off, and you know, I think then you have to look at it. But I I do worry a little bit about whether he fits as well out on the left in a 4-2-3-1 yeah that's exactly what I was going to say I think left on a 3 yeah but in a 4-2-3-1 I a 4-2-3-1 for me is all about at any one time having two players in the opposition box mm. as a minimum mm. and the the slight problem I find with Grant is he he often he's making the runs that other people are running He's he's often you feel like he's running into other people's space and what have you. Yeah, he's far better almost having his own channel, <laughs> ploughing his lone furrow if mm. you like. So I yeah I'm completely with you there. And the other thing is I, I'm not sure about you know Kachunga I thought was great and I talked him up earlier, but Kachunga's versatility is is really really good, but in a four two three one which is where he has played for a long time, he's sort of almost... he He's got to the point where he could play really effectively in that system and then gone past it and started going down the other side. And the last, I would argue, probably the last eight or nine times he's played in a 4-2-3-1 in whatever position, he's actually struggled because he's he's not in that system he's sort of 75% of one player and 75% of the other Mm. which is why I think like I say tomorrow I think the selection is really interesting do you I know what they're saying about their home and away style but if you've got a front three you know that second goal was a really good goal Mm. you know it's pressing it's looking to get players into the box it's an excellent delivery it's a brilliant finish do you give all that up you know it's it's a tough decision yeah. isn't it football management it's tough yeah who knew <laughs> and it's, it's, well I mean they, they said they don't want to make loads of wholesale, wholesale changes mm. um, which I think is evident from from their first two selections they only made one change uh, from the from the fairly conservative selection I say conservative in the sense of they didn't go in and pick a whole new 11 or yeah. you know throw in yeah. five players that hadn't played before Um they have said they they want to have the continuity, which uh, I mean continuity from a team that's bottom of the table. But I suppose if you're there's a kind of logic in it, which is the baseline might be low, but it is at least a baseline rather than starting from scratch. Yeah, um, yeah. But I yeah. I, so I'd be surprised if we saw four changes against Millwall. But and you feel like you'd they'd potentially have to make four, even five potentially to go to a four-two-three-one. Yeah. So and when I say change, I don't just mean. Uh, swapping players out I mean in altering players positions as well yeah and that that feels a lot doesn't it yeah that feels a lot so yeah so I almost feel like they kind of agree with them they might be better sticking with pretty much the team that did play against Mm. West Brom because but we if if we sat here saying you know they should go for 4-2-3-1 we'd only be contradicting what we've said religiously about the simplicity and giving them one job yeah. and clearing their minds so they can focus on that one job anyway so you know I'd argue probably 4-3-3 is the way to go and it, what was noticeable I think from the first game to the second I don't know if you feel this way but the first 4-3-3 they played in their first home game against Wednesday 
that was pretty much a Jan 4-3-3, yeah, positionally wise. The front was, three were a bit narrower. Yeah, but that, but other that, than that, that was it. That yeah. was it. So, which, don't get me wrong, I could understand they'd not had a lot of time, whatever, they were trying to give the players something that they were familiar with. The 4-3-3 at West Brom was very, very different. Like you say, yeah. we've talked about that defence being narrower. We've talked about the, you know, the two, the front two dropping back to help them as almost auxiliary wing backs, midfield playing as a proper midfield. Because that was, that will hurt Millwall, yeah. I think. That will that will do a job. Whereas if you just went back to the Jan style, I think they'd get picked off again. Yeah, well, it was too wide, and it was too wide on Hudson as well in his four-two-three-one. And I think Jan had very rigid ideas about what he wanted from his six, six, eight, and ten in yes. midfield three. Yeah. Whereas I think the Cowleys expect the three of them to do. I think there's less difference between the midfield three in their yeah. system. They're all expected to do a bit of everything. Obviously, yeah. Hogg is meant to be a bit deeper lying, but yeah. I think O'Brien and Chalabar are expected to do almost the same job as each other mm. uh, in terms of their positional play. Um, whereas under under Jan, it was very much, you are a six, you are the eight, you are the ten. Yeah. And it didn't... I, you know the Cowleys used that system pretty much against Wednesday, and it didn't work. Mm. So what you have to give them credit for is immediately going right. Well, this isn't the four-three-three we want, yeah. and putting their own ideas across. And we've spoke about how much time they're going to need yeah. to do what they have to do. So yeah, you know if you've got a four-three-three and if it works, just stick with it. Yeah, <laughs> stick with it. Looking past Millwall, it's then Stoke away, which is a huge, huge game. Yeah. But then that's the thing is the, the six of the next seven are against teams in the bottom half, and yeah. the odd one out is Blackburn, who are tenth. So it's they they've got about on paper as easy a run as they're probably going to get all season coming up. Yeah. Now. Not that there is any, not that there is really such a thing in the championship because it's such a crackpot league, <laughs> and anyone can beat anyone. But on paper, about. As on the uh, best chance they've got of putting yeah. it together. I, I was looking at it and I was trying to think of like a points target. Yeah. And I I honestly think probably from the next six or seven they've got to look at getting nine points. I went for ten, so Yeah. <laughs> well I think nine or ten. Yeah. yeah. They've they've got to look at getting yeah. three wins yeah. and then, you know, hopefully get a draw from elsewhere. Yeah. They will lose a couple just purely because the one thing I think it's worth saying about this Cowley's 4-3-3 is there are going to be games where you are actually quite open because there is a gap between your midfield and your defence and mm. there, there are And you space. can get down the side as well. Yeah. If you can't catch them on the hop and Grant or Kachunga can't get back fast yeah. enough, there is space down the side as West Brom found for their first goal. Yeah. So I think it's important to say that Town are going to lose games in the near future. But yeah. again, we've, we've talked before about like there's games that Town lose and nothing changes. Town lost that game against West Brom, but it still felt like progress. Yeah. And there are going to be more games there like that, which Town are going to lose, but you have to accept that there is still progression there in certain areas, even if it's progression of ideas, which mm. is not always particularly visible on the pitch, but is still an incredibly important thing. So I think they've got to target nine points. I suspect we, we both said this on the podcast when we were, just the two of us last, you know, and we were talking about the Cowleys, we suspected they were going to target this Millwall game. Yeah. Because, you know, Sheffield Wednesday at home and West Brom away, always going to be two very tough games with a squad in this position. But Millwall are a different opposition. And the thing is, the players are human as well. I mean, I'm not... It won't be arrogance or confidence because the players aren't in any position to have that at the moment. But they will know looking at West Brom, uh, looking at Millwall, they will know. Hang on a sec, we've this is we should be able to be there. Yeah, we're we're not going to be. Well, you look at it, we're not going to be passed off the pitch. Yeah. We shouldn't be outscored. Yeah, they might outwork us, but you can get round that if you play properly. You mm. know exactly as Town did first half mm. last week against West Brom. So the Stoke game is is. Like toss of a coin, yeah. Because, I, I mean, I really like Nathan Jones. I have to, as a Brighton fan, and it, but he's got some real progressive ideas. The problem he's got at Stoke is that squad has just been. I mean, if you think Town squad have have had one or two. 
disciplinary issues. I can I I won't go into it, but the Stoke squad are yeah. rotten to the core. <laughs> Um, so you you never know what performance you're going to get from them, but yeah, I think they've got to get nine points, and that's to give. And I would say that the nine or ten that we've worked out independently of each other is to give themselves a fighting chance for the rest yeah. of the season. That's to keep pace so that they, if they do get that improvement, yeah. they can then if they get into sub, something like mid-table form after yeah. this run, they'll probably be all right. But I think if they don't reach that, I think they're pretty stuffed. To be honest, yeah. Well, no team's been uh, behind by seven points at this time and survives. Yeah. So, but I, I like you look at statistic like that and you take it at face value and you go, "Oh, that's grim." But I think town set of circumstances are very, very different. Yeah. I mean, I've I've spoke about it before, but I I hope town fans still understand that from the end of last season right up until now at no point in the history of this football club has this set of circumstances ever existed from mm. the top to Carl and Grant playing up front mm. you know so there's been turmoil off the pitch there's been a lot of heartbreak on it they're just you have to sort of measure progress in small mm. <laughs> victories at the moment yeah and a point against West Brom would have been brilliant, sensational. Mm. But Town are in the position where if they pick the points up against the teams that are around them, yeah. if they target those games, they should be fine. Yeah. Because remember, every point you take off them is a point they don't yeah. gain on you. And that's why I think they are stuffed if they don't get yeah. the points in, the, if they, in this if, run because yeah. everyone's getting further away then. If they if they finish this run and they're further cut adrift, yeah, they, they're going to be in deep trouble. But I honestly... Uh, you know, I I said I still think ninety days till well eighty nine days till Christmas, and I said they'd be out of the bottom three. I still think there's a very very good chance of that. I genuinely yeah. do. Yeah. No, I would I I would agree. I, I still think there's enough in that squad for all the issues that we've that we've highlighted for weeks and weeks and for forty minutes so far today. I think there's enough in that squad that they should be able to get out of it. Yeah. With with that managerial team in place now as well, and oh, yeah. certainly even if they're sort of not quite out of the mire at Christmas, if they get it right in January, they should absolutely, you know, they should I, be able to get out of it. I also can't shake this feeling, Steve, that at some point, Town are going to batter someone. Yeah. At some point, it's just going to click. Yeah. They're going to get the early goal, and instead of crapping themselves into a retreat, they're going to go, hang on, and sniff a bit of blood. And I've just got this feeling that at some point in the next three or four weeks, someone's going to get a 4-5-0 from town. Mm. I, I honestly do. And I've, if you look back through football history with bad runs like that, it it often happens that suddenly out of the blue, the team just turn around and spank someone. And I just, it's been that long and town have been close in games and they've had issues all over. I just feel like hiding for someone is coming. Mm. Well, I hope so. One person that's going to be leaving the club after a year where, as you say, basically every role at that club, bar Sean Mm. Jarvis, uh, Josh Marsh and Julian Winter have changed. Julian Winter has now confirmed that he will be leaving the club. He's handed in his notice, uh, his six months notice. What what do you make of, of his decision to step down from the club? Um, I think looking on Twitter, I think some <laughs> Huddersfield Town fans had made their mind up about Julian Winter and his role at the club. I think it's always difficult because his role, what was his official title? Chief exec. Chief exec. It, it's the problem with a chief exec or a chief operating officer or, you know, however you want to phrase it, a CEO, etc., is it's one of those positions in football that the fans don't really see the benefit of because mm. you don't there's nothing direct there. If you're a director of football and you're playing well and you're recruiting well, you go, Well yeah, that's because our director of football's good. What do you see if you're mm. you know, if if Julian Winter's doing well? He's obviously had a influence in the club, but I suspect he was Hoyle's man, and I suspect Phil, you know, I, I, he won't be happy to lose anyone. But 
there's an opportunity there to recruit somebody who is Phil's choice and who he, you know, I even, I'd go further and suspect I bet he's probably got a list of one name <laughs> already. Uh, you've got to go through a recruitment process because who knows, there might be somebody absolutely perfect to yeah. apply. You'd be, you know, Phil's a businessman, he knows how it works. But uh, yeah, I'm, I strongly suspect that they'll they'll be not happy, but it will be, okay, well, that's another one. Let's, yeah. let's deal with it and let's all move on. I think if you look at Windsor's time and you look at some of the things that have happened on his watch with the academy, etc., I think it's very easy to just dismiss what he's done and say he hasn't earned his money at the club. But you don't know how much work goes into that role, the yeah. other things that have gone on. But transfer negotiations and etc. Et yeah. yeah, and you know when Hoyle was ill, I'm sure he was uh, stepped in and was doing a big part as well. So you can't without because we don't work day to day with him. You can't sit here and disparage his contribution. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but yeah, I I suspect Phil will just take this one in his stride. I don't think there will have been much. <laughs> Much, much resistance to it because, as I said, it's just another opportunity to bring somebody in he trusts and wants to work with, like he has with Webb and and a few others, and and Josh Marsh is the interesting one because Josh Marsh is, like, I was I was reading through some Twitter comments and some Facebook comments, and as we know, that's where the madman lay, and uh, he, he seems to come in for quite a lot of criticism. You know, mm. oh, he should be next. But, you know, as head of recruitment, that's a difficult job and you don't know. I always think the head of recruitment, you tell the play, you tell them who you want to sign and then it goes off and becomes somebody else's responsibility to bring them in. Mm. If they don't get them, suddenly you're being criticised for your recruitment. Yeah. So who knows, you know, changing winter, having web there, having a different structure, different negotiating the system. The fact that the Cowleys are now... The fact the Cowell is there and manager um, is going to make a difference. So the problem I'm always very acutely aware of on here, though, when we're talking about stuff like this, though, is it's easy for me and you to say, you know, there's a lot of long-term building blocks being put in place that should do this club Mm. a lot of service. Short-term, it's still rubbish. (laughs) Short-term, the fans are still watching them lose. Short-term, they're still bottom of the table. And all you can really do is is just trust in what's happening. You know, yeah. I think the one thing I wanted to ask you, as somebody who does, you know, sees a lot of these comments and reads as much of this stuff as me. You know, winter's going, and there seems to be like not, you know, he's the last of the old guard or the last horseman or anything like that. But there seems to be a lot more support for Phil do you think that's the podcast interview do you think it's people just saying that actually there were more problems or what there does seem feel like there's been a change yeah I think I think getting getting the Cowleys in probably got him as much credit as that podcast interview because I think that that interview with and he takes that chance which if you've not listened to it you, you should do that that interview in particular because um, he goes into much more depth on a lot of and, things than we ever. And the Sean Jarvis interview, I'll yeah, say. the Sean Jarvis interview from earlier this summer as well. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Um, I think that interview came out uh, after the Cowleys had been appointed yeah. before their first game. I think, and yeah. I think the Cowleys appointment did him a lot of favors. But I think he also came across well on the podcast yeah. too. The thing is, I don't know how much. How many of the fans will have listened to it? But I guess enough will have listened to it that they will have fed it back to yeah. others around them. I think there's certain things from when we do our Q and A, we we get a load of questions, and I use pretty much all the questions I get on the Q and A. But there's always a couple I can't use, um, <laughs> and and a lot of them are to do with well, basically they still don't they're still unconvinced about the financial side of things. Yeah, which we. As I put on the Q and A, we're, we're going to get a finance writer to to have a look at that, um, just to to make sure that his sums add up. Not because we suspect that they don't, because I think 
they do. I've got a background in, in accountancy myself, so they, they seem to, from listening through it without going through it with a spreadsheet, everything seemed to make sense and add up to me. Yeah. Um, and he expl- I think he did a decent job of explaining a few things that about the way that transfers work and the when, yeah. when the money is actually realised and how it appears in the books and all of this, that I think a lot of fans... They just see a lot of fans, because there's no reason they would. Like, I, I, with a bit of accountancy training, I still find some of this stuff difficult to follow. Yeah. Um, but I think fans see, like, a number in the headline with the transfer fee, which one probably isn't entirely accurate no. anyway most of the time. It'll be within a few million normally, but sometimes it's yeah. wrong. Um, and two, they th- and two, they think it just drops in to the bank account straight yeah. away and it's available to spend. It doesn't work that way no. for, for a number of different reasons. They don't realise, uh, you know, even players at, like even Man City buy players on layaway, basically. Yeah, so. and and they get amortised and they have yeah. a value that appears in the books and they appear they don't appear in the P and L until the point they're sold yeah. because they're in the balance sheet, not the P and L. Yeah, and different well, this things. is the problem with billing, isn't it? Billing at the moment is a loss yeah. to town because they've lost the player and they've had to pay the tax. So at the moment, the out of the the sort of supposed 18 million quid altogether mm. they've had one instalment and all that instalment's been on the tax so yeah. they're actually until next summer it's corporation tax at 20 percent. Yeah. yeah so until next summer when they get the next instalment because it's been played over three years if you want to know where the billing money is it's with the government yeah <laughs> as it's done because it's because it's calculated as the number is the on the profit and loss sheet which is where the corporation tax is calculated uh, is profit on players sold, and that is based on a valuation from an, amort- an amortized number. Yeah. Um, so his value in the books will have been zero because he, uh, not just because he'd been with the club for so long, but because he came up through the academy as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so the number that appears as profit is the full transfer fee. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that in the books it it because it's a uh, anyway. You, the full value probably hasn't been accrued over the three years. Yes. Um, yeah, so yeah, it will yeah. all appear there, but they're actually going to get the money, yeah. the physical money, um, in the balance sheet over the next three years. So Cause it's complicated. It is I, hard to I, explain. But I sort of feel that he, like with with what Dean Hoyle was very good at, was sort of almost drip feeding to the fans what they wanted to hear and keeping the stuff that they don't want to hear or yeah. that is incredibly complicated to to one side you know yeah. the, the fans don't need to hear that and what i quite like about phil is even though he he talks too much and he said too much and you know we know what happened at the fixtures breakfast where again, you know, I don't think for a second think he lied. I think he genuinely believed he, he was speaking gonna, in good faith. Yeah, he, he yeah. genuinely believed all those transfers would happen. I would say as well, everything when Phil quoted himself in that podcast, we've looked back and verified it. And what, hang on, what he says he said is what he actually said. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I just feel like there's been a slight sea change, and I think. I think there needs to be a bit more of that because, like, with what's happening on the pitch and how bad things are, town need, uh, town fans need to understand that the the manoeuvring behind the scenes affects what happens on the pitch. I mean, it, you think why does what's happening with the chairman affect what happens to eleven blokes go out and play the match? It absolutely does because it's everything trickles down through various areas. Same as at any workplace. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think with someone like Winter going, and a lot of town fans had made their mind up on Winter. Fair enough. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to comment on that. I've no idea. But I think town fans have got to hold on to the longer term a little bit. And mm. I know it's difficult. And I know it's it's easy for me and you to say that. But I. I I do think with I do think with the right appointment Phil has probably got his team there where he can step back from the football club and let 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 managers manage which is what we used to say when I was in the motor trade but that's what you have to do you know you can't you can't go round as this presence telling the people that you're trusting to do their jobs what they should actually be doing all the time you mm. and and town have not had a period of that at all and when town have that stability in place and the right people in the right areas 
that trickles down into you know recruitment and training and facilities and everything mm. else so so yeah i i think it was i think it's probably right that he's going it feels i mean certainly to me steve it feels probably about right that he's going you yeah i'd pretty much agree to be honest like as i say everything else at the club has changed it, it, it would feel strange to have if everyone else at that club is is Phil's person, you've got one guy that that isn't particularly his guy. And Sean Jarvis strikes you as someone who's perhaps more adaptable, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. I don't know Julian Winter very well. I've only met him once very briefly. And, uh, yeah, so I guess it's not for me to say, mm. but I, I, I would pretty much echo most of the sentiments you've already put forward, David. So, yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's how we are. But yeah, no, I, th- I think I think Phil had to had to do that podcast. And the other important thing he said on there, you mentioned Dean Hoyle just to finish, um, was well, there's, uh, in terms of the finances, one the fact that Dean Hoyle's been repaid um, yeah. on the loan, the, the money that he lent to the club is significant because that's not pocket mm. change. Even no. if even if he gets paid half the money he's owed over three years, that's ten million a year. That's yeah, a substantial amount. The other thing is. Um, Phil, as Phil said, if he's, uh, he can either continue to be try and be honest with the fans, yeah, um, and in which case they need to be a little bit more accepting and yeah. give him the benefit of the doubt that he is yeah. speaking in good faith, or he's just going to shut up, yeah. And that those are the options really. And that's not to say that that he is above criticism, or that we won't criticize him in the paper if we feel like there's hierarchical problems yeah. at the club. But the reality is, he's been in the job uh, two and a half months. Yeah. Um, he's inherited a lot of problems. Not, I don't think, deep-rooted problems, but problems that were there that needed fixing. Like, yep. like they didn't have the director of football or the yeah. head of football operations there when he came in. They had a manager that the fans didn't like when he came in. Yep. Uh, and so on and so on. And I'm a bit worried that we sometimes come across as a bit apologist, but I think that is the reality of the situation. Yeah, I think we're only apologists because we're I, we're very conscious of not being cheerleaders, but being realistic. And I think the problem is, as football fans, you you can blame these figures in your club that you don't really know what they do. You know, what yeah. are they doing to earn their money when yeah. our pitch when our team is losing? Yeah. You know, that's that's reality of fandom, and that's not just football fandom either, mm. really. But I think. It's not apologism, it's more a case of, I think we both know people at the club, we speak to people behind the scenes, we know a little bit about what goes on, and you think these are people who are, they're having to make often unpopular decisions, but they have to think about three to five years instead of three to five months, or even, and let's be honest, even the term football fans thinking, three to five games. So, it's... I think I feel sort of fairly confident that that Phil has got over the worst, has got over the real bump mm. of it. I I don't, and I'm not for a second saying that Julian Winter was like a fly in the ointment or anything like that. But it just, like you said, it feels like he's going to have his team in, and he can do what he talked about on the podcast, which is he wants to step away. He mm. wants to let let people run their departments mm. with authority and autonomy and be able to make the decisions and do what they want and you do feel the people who are left I don't know about Josh Marsh but I I would suspect with uh with David Webb there you may see that his role is very mm-hmm. different um and I suspect Sean Jarvis certainly comes across as just being a bit more adaptable and a bit more in line with Phil's thinking perhaps yeah. so yeah I think there's probably only one way to finish though do they beat Millwall tomorrow? Yeah, I think so. I think they should. If they don't, then it will be because of the the same old problems. But mm. I, I honestly think even taking those problems into account, and the fact that you know Millwall have been going through a bit of a tough time and a bit of stick, mm. and will be wanting to make a statement. I think, I think it's. I think they should probably still be winning that game at home. To be honest. Mm. I I almost feel like if they were away from home, they would have a better chance. Yeah, is that weird? No, I com- I completely get that because there are one or two 
players in that team who when I hear that cow farm groan as mm. Jim described it to us you can see it, 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 it they, they go into their shell a little bit and I just I don't know if tomorrow is the day that they turn around and end up giving someone a hiding but like you I just I just feel like they're going to win tomorrow mm. I don't it's know it's a nice feeling isn't it well yeah it may be really really ugly yeah. But I just feel like they're going to get three points one way or another out of the game. And if you're listening to this on Sunday morning, <laughs> <laughs> let us know how it went. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Well, cheers, Dave, for coming in today. And we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, subscribe, recommend to friends. Dave's on Twitter. At David Hartrick. And I'm at Stephen Chicken with a V. So, yeah, join us next time. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>